Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. Hey, Soil Cousins, it's your girl, Cola B. Talking, the hostess with the mostest. However, on this particular episode, I will not be in the role of host. The host will actually be my pod cousin, DJ Moultrie of the Black Equity Podcast. This is what we call in podcasting, like a crossover. This episode was recorded on last year, uh, about a year before, not a year before, what am I saying? Before our one year anniversary of Black in the Garden is when this episode was recorded with DJ. And a few weeks ago is when it went live on the Black Equity Network podcast. So that's over there. Some of you may have already heard it, but I'm very excited to share this interview. It was a really great conversation and totally relevant to so many of the themes that come up and that are still to come on Black in the Garden. So I hope that you will enjoy it. You get to know a little bit more about me. I know we got some new soil cousins in the house. Welcome y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you. So take some time to get to know a little bit more about me, Cola B. Talking, your host, by listening to this interview. And of course, you know, by releasing this episode, uh, that means that you got another dope episode just from me, just the Black in the Garden, not this feature uh, coming up on next week. So that's going to be a great time. You know it will. You know if it's me, it's going to be fun. So yes, enjoy this here interview. And oh, how could I hold up? Everybody pause because we need to celebrate right now. The fact that Black in the Garden is currently on your Apple podcast platform on the curated Black history list of Black ass shows that we all need to listen to. Black in the Garden is on that list, along with some really incredible other Black podcasters that are, you know, much more established, much more, you know, professional, if you will, I suppose. Um, I always, I've been mentioning a lot as I've been speaking about how um, Michelle Obama's on that list. Um, (laughs) Y'all, this is news. This is very exciting. And I am so glad to be able to have such an honor. Okay. Uh, Y'all go look. If you're on on the Apple podcast platform right now, Go and take a look. Find Black in the Garden. If you haven't already yet, go ahead and leave a review. You might as well if you're going over there. Like, you tap in. So just tap and and let, let the people them know how much you enjoy the show and whatever else you want to share. Say good things. Say nice things. Say nice things in front of company. <laughs> and if you are feeling excited and and want to partake in celebrating and contributing to the podcast, make sure that you check the link in the show notes so that you can become a patron. Slide on over to uh, patreon.com forward slash black in the garden and become a patron. Like get in on the, the bottom floor as black in the garden is ascending 
in in so many incredible ways. We're getting. I'm already thinking about season four and how amazing that's going to be. So uh, go ahead and you know make your contribution now so that you can be credited as a producer, a co-producer on season four, because I'm going to uh, start making that addition to the show notes and all the assets and the website and stuff. Everything's coming together. We're going to have, you know, all those official things uh, finally figured out how to make that happen, like realistically, realistically. And also uh, stay tuned to all the socials, all of the socials. Stay tuned to Black in the Garden. I'm going to drop a bonus uh, announcement on uh, in the next couple days. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Just, you know, be excited. And also, I think that's all we need to know. I don't want to ramble. I don't want to hold up the party any further. The name of this episode, as it was airing on the Black Equity Network podcast, uh, was... An Agricultural Revolution. I believe that's what it's called. So yes, make sure that you check out the Black Equity Network podcast because it is really dope and it really gets into exposing, well, not exposing that. I don't like the connotation there. And amplifying the voices of Black people in business and the incredible and innovative contributions that they are making uh, hosted by the illustrious and very intelligent and clever DJ Moultrie, who I just had such a fantastic conversation with that you're about to hear. Thank you all for tuning in, Soil Cousins. At the end of this interview, uh, catch up on another episode if you haven't, or go on over and take a listen to or subscribe to the Black Equity Network podcast. So yes, enjoy. Call of Talking. All right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast, and this is a conversation that is a long time coming. Many of our listeners have heard our guest today on her podcast, and some of the listeners on her podcast have listened to our podcast over here at Black Equity Podcast. Before we introduce our guest today, this is not going to be the typical episode. I think this is a time in history and a time in our culture where two really powerful hosts can sit down and share with each other what they're seeing in Black culture and give our own unique perspectives. But I also want to use this time to let everybody know about our guest podcast and the different work that she's doing. So on the line with us is the host of Black in the Garden podcast, Cola B. Talking. Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. Hey, how y'all doing, Soil Cousins? The soil connects us. We're going to get to that. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We're so grateful to have you on Black Equity. For those who do not know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your podcast, and a little bit about some of the projects you're working on. I am Cola B. Talking. I call myself the hostess with the mostest, just, you know, kind of chiming on my dynamic hosting and speaking and, and, you know, the charismaticness of all of that. I know that's not a word. It's fine. I make up words as well. So that's one thing you should know about me. That's right. I'm a hyper creative. So ideas, they flow to me freely and abundantly. That really does influence a lot of the things that I do. And I make a big deal to emphasize 
hyper creativity because I've met so many people just this year in starting Black in the Garden who I can recognize like the symptoms I'm using air quotes it becomes apparent. It's like, just be overwhelmed. And it's one of those things where I feel like there needs to be more attention paid to it so we can kind of come together and really build off of that because hyper-creativity is a, is a wonderful thing. It can be a bit of a burden sometimes, but you know, that's that. Obviously I'm a gardener. I love the plants. I love the house plants. Really, they're so beautiful and they're great for cleansing the air in, in the house and meditative purposes and so much more. And I also love growing food and really being an advocate for connecting Black people, all right, everybody, but particularly Black people and the youth to nature via gardening. I really know that a lot of our problems can be solved in our community by paying more attention to our connection with nature and definitely growing our own food. So that's a big deal for me. I'm a mom. I call myself a plantrepreneur. I'm even really leaning into just plain entrepreneurship. That's a big deal for me as well. I'm a budding entrepreneur because I'm figuring this shit out. I'm trying to get it together. I'm assuming we can cuss. Yes, of course. I got a few more of those bombs to drop. Do your all thing. right. Do your thing. <laughs> And something that I typically bring up as well is that I am a former trucker, so I know all the cuss words, but I know a lot of really fancy words as well. Litigiously is what I like to say, every just time, to make sure you understand. I'll be reading dictionaries. I understand. Well, every time you say you're a trucker, <laughs> I always think to myself, could I really drive an 18-wheeler? How big of an adjustment was it when you first got behind the wheel? Interestingly enough, I know you're in Charlotte. That's where I learned how to do it. I went to trucking school in Charlotte for one of the largest companies in the nation. I'm not going to name no names because I might shit on them, but <laughs> and I don't want no smoke. Right. But right. learning was nerve wracking. There was a lot of nerves involved because at that time in my life, I was 21. I was like freshly qualified because you have to be 21 to be able to do it. And I was at a point in my life where I felt like a lot was at stake mm -hmm. and going through trucking school felt very much like a reality show because mm -hmm. people kept getting sent home. They wasn't right, making a right. cut. Right. Like, I remember there was this one gentleman who I had become very good friends with. And I just remember how heartbroken I was when he was like, I got to go. And I was just like, damn. Right. But also in the back of my mind, it's like that shit wouldn't happen to me, though, because like right, right. I am on top of mind. So after I got all the nerves out, after I kind of figured out, okay, this is how this works. And I built up my confidence. It felt good getting behind the wheel. I, I felt very empowered, especially as a young woman, to be honest, I'll just put this out there. I'm doing so much with podcasting. I will be incorporating that into a podcast. Okay. Oh, show. So that's a little preview. I'm going to tell some stories. Some of them going to be a little nasty. We're going to talk about capitalism and all that other kind of stuff. I've given it a lot of thought. You mentioned being the host of Black in the Garden. Why put Black in the name? I'm rolling my eyes at that because that's one of those things that was definitely a part of the conversation when I'm discussing the concept with some of my friends when I'm coming up with it, because it's like, oh, you don't want to alienate such and such, or you don't want to be da 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 da, with the interest of, you know, wanting to be inclusive, for lack of a better word. But really, what it boils down to when I know that I'm out here specifically wanting to reach my people, I need to make sure you understand it's for you. First glance, first listen, first time you hear about it, you need to know this is some black shit right here. This is for you specifically. Right. 
And it comes across in every way that I can make it possible. But to answer the question, to make sure that I put Black in the name so you know that this is the cookout, okay? My people understand what I mean when I say the cookout. No, I definitely understand. When when I had made the decision to do it, I was coming from it from a similar standpoint. I thought it was a dedication to my people. I thought it was a way to honor everything I had been through and give something back. I'll be honest with you, the main people who have an issue with it are Black. It's so crazy. Ah. I'm like, wait, what? I'm having this conversation with you? You, you have an issue weird. with it saying Black equity? It's like, why can't it be something else? I wonder, did you get any pushback? And if you did, did they look like you and I for the word Black being in the title of your podcast? Actually, no. Thinking back on it, I did not get any pushback. It was just kind of knocking the concept around at first. It was very much like, let me be clear about how I'm about to do this and why I'm about to do it this way. And let me be intentional about putting it in there. So even when I was having someone asking me, are you sure you want to do it that way? I was just like, yeah, I'm sure. It wasn't a marketing thing, but... Considering all the business behind it and the marketing behind it, it paid off because what I came to understand as I continued to study my craft and understand more about how podcasting works and what makes a podcast successful mm-hmm. is that you need to have a niche. Yeah. If you just out here saying, hey, I'm such and such and I just want to talk about people, places and things. Who cares, girl? It's easier for you to be successful in being so vague about what you're talking about or who you're addressing when you're, say, like, a I don't know, a Wendy Williams or somebody who was already established as a celebrity or an influencer or whatever. I started Black in the Garden. Nobody knew what the hell it was. And I had zero followers on Instagram. That's the main social I use. So that's why I refer to that. But yeah, nobody knew what it was or who I was. And so I had to be very intentional about a lot of things. And that was one of them, making sure that you know it's Black. So when you're building your brand and people are gravitating towards what you're doing, how was the momentum? Was it a a fast growth? Was it a slow growth? Tell me a little bit about that experience, just seeing your community start building. It was a fast growth. And I'm still anticipating tremendous growth in the future. Even like I said, with Instagram having recently reached 10,000 soil cousins, as I like to call them. I don't really like all that follower type talk. You know what I mean? Soil cousins. I appreciate y'all so much. And you all are welcome to become one if you don't feel like you is. You is. You are. But I'm talking about followership. So the thing about the rapid growth that I love is that I projected it. I anticipated it because I knew that me starting a Black ass podcast about gardening and emphasizing the voices of Black gardeners in a very fun and interesting and charismatic and just kind of like quirky way. Those are all things that I embody. And I was like, I want to bring that to my show. I want to bring my whole self to the show. I want to bring my whole Black self to the show. And I want to engage with guests who are going to give me that as well. I do my best not to bring on somebody who is dry. That's not fun for me. So it's not going to be fun for you. So I am very intentional about incorporating as many elements of intrigue and and fun and a good Black time into my show as I possibly can. But like I said, I knew it was going to take off and it really did. I remember I started almost a year ago. November makes the year of Black in the Garden. When I started out at the end of 2019, 
It didn't have nothing to do with plants trending or becoming what they have become by now, you know, as a result of what I call the plant-demic. Right. (laughs) I wasn't thinking about none of that because I had been gardening for a few years before then, but I just cannot emphasize enough that I knew it was going to take off. I'm like, once people get wind of this, especially those who are into plants and gardening, especially the Blacks, but whoever is interested as well Mm -hmm. is going to take off. What do you think it was about gardening, plants, that whole world that resonated with our community? And I'm asking that from a standpoint of people who weren't even into it at first. There's an intrigue where it's like, okay, Black in the garden. Hmm. I know this is about gardening. I know it's Black. But let me see. What is she bringing? What is she giving us? And so, you know, I got to the point by the time I got a cute little theme song situated, when you first hear the show, it's very much like, hey, just the way that I came in. Once you have that initial curiosity about what you're going to get and then you tune in and you're like, oh, there's a lot of energy here. This is a very intentional situation. Then I'm trying to pull you in. What came up for me when you asked that question is the concept of gardening being some white people shit. Mm-hmm. Like many things, like, I don't know, crocheting, hiking, right. kombucha, Paul McCartney. I don't know. but well, uh, The Paul McCartney one. I could, okay. Okay. I could have <laughs> okay, I I uh, gave you a better example. It's okay. I don't know. It's okay. But I don't know, rowing, sure. Just pastimes and things that are associated with whiteness. Mm-hmm. And I could see how, like, if you're already interested in gardening, but you feel disconnected from gardening or plants or anything horticulturally related, finding out that there is a Black person who is talking about it and being intentional about talking about it in a way that makes it relatable to my people, that's definitely something that was a part of that equation to answer the question. You know, I did a internship when I was in college with a agricultural bank. In Orangeburg, South Carolina, I went to South Carolina State University. They had a little pipeline where they were trying to get more Black people into their program. And so I ended up working with one of the top agricultural-related banks. When I say agricultural bank, literally, they only give out loans to ag-related type of situations. And so that could be like chicken farms. It could be a, a horse ranch. Anything agricultural type of related that they can actually get funding through, they will give out funding. And so I followed the salesperson around. I went on the different sales tours. I even went to, I think it was in like Newberry, South Carolina. They were playing polo with horses and the polo players. Actual polo. Actual polo. And so the person that was trying to get the loan was a polo player. He makes like four or five million dollars a year, but it's all through polo. And so it's wow. not like a, a is he case. black? He's like Italian. Oh, he's okay. Not. I was just trying to see, like, is he an eligible bachelor? Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, too. And so I went to this polo match. They were trying to figure out if this guy was going to be suitable for a loan because he didn't have the necessary financial papers because he just plays polo and wins. He just, makes a living off of polo. Exactly. But the loan isn't for polo. It's really for the upkeep of his horses. Because see, polo isn't about the rider. It's about the horse. The horses are costing $25,000 a pop, $40,000 a pop, depending on the horse. I bring all this up because I was sitting in 
the car with one of the top VPs at the bank. And we were just driving around and we were talking about agriculture. What kind of car was it? It was this big Ram truck. I'm just nosy. It's all good. (laughs) And so we're riding through like Bamberg, South Carolina. I'll never forget this. And I think it's one of the first times I've shared this story. He says, we need to bring more black people into this space. A lot of black people are afraid of agriculture because of the history of it. Ooh, that environmental trauma comes up, right? Exactly. It's played in my mind almost all the time. And then you and I meet and you're talking about Black in the Garden Act. And then immediately my mind goes back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it is now, to Mm -hmm. that conversation of, wait a second, it's almost like a manifestation where this guy saying, hey, if we can get more people in, it'll be wonderful because there's a lot of opportunity in this space. There's a lot of money flowing in agriculture, but then we don't ever talk about it. And so then we bump into each other and you're putting out your podcast and you and I have some really dope off the mic conversations. And one of the things I mentioned to you, I had to make sure I said it to you because it was so important. And you may not have knew where it all rooted from it, but it rooted from that conversation because I'm watching multi-million dollar loans going left and right to these agricultural facilities. One of the things that I mentioned to you was, yes, this is for the gardener, but I also want you to look at this as an agricultural play. Because see, what agriculture does is it takes it from being just something you do in your house, if we're just, you know, plants in the house, and it Mm -hmm. takes it to a global conversation because agriculture is everywhere. Agriculture, it was here before most things. Before any corporation was a corporation, there was agriculture because it's the production of food from the land, sourced from the land, and we all got to eat. And so you would wonder if agriculture is the foundation of society globally. Yes. Before your podcast, very few voices were speaking to this space for our community. Mm. Let me drop a name right quick because this is very important. Like you said, it's not just me. I'm doing it in the way that I'm doing it. And so I know that that's what makes me unique and stand out. But I want to shout out Food Talks in Color because that is a podcast that does specifically focus on talking to like farmers and getting deep into the agriculture of it all. And there's another kind of on the in that vein, Afrobeats podcast. That's B-E-E-T, like the vegetable. You get it? <laughs> and so, yeah, those are my pod cousins. And so I shout them out as much as I can because, yeah, that conversation is definitely happening. But, yo, you're right, though. Agriculture is big. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, and it really controls the ins and outs of society. Decide, and I think it's also going to be great to go towards the end of the show to talk about trucking, because I okay. actually believe what you do on one level is what you do on the next level. Damn. Because when you were trucking, I don't know what was in those trucks, and don't tell me everything. What it ain't it? no secret. Okay. I hauled all kinds of stuff. I hauled dry freight and I hauled refrigerated as well. So I definitely was dealing in... Was Look, there any agriculture? I know we're going to do it at the end, right? But just right quick. One time, I had a load of carrots. Mm. Like straight up carrots. I pulled up. There was no dock. There was no nothing. I pulled up to the farm in the dirt. I just remember there's a lot of flies and stuff. I had to keep my doors closed because you can't get flies in the truck. That's real dangerous right, when you're right. driving down the road later. Right. But I didn't know they was doing this. There wasn't nothing I could do about it. But they filled the truck with just raw carrots. Not in bags. Not in boxes. Straight up 
carrots. Wow. And then the reason why this stands out is because it's like, yo, okay, the reason why it became an issue for me was because I went down the road to the way station to make sure that my load was correct and I wasn't going to get in no trouble at the way stations, right? How about they had overfilled it? It was too heavy. And I think I went back to try to get that corrected, but I ended up having to get in the back of the truck and with basically my bare hands or with gloves, I guess, dump carrots out the back of the truck into a trash can. I don't recommend that now because the sustainability of it all, it's like, eh, no, compost, but (laughs) you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I just remember opening the doors like, oh shit, like there's carrots. And it wasn't like a flat floor. It was the kind of floor with a bunch of little gaps in it. So there's carrots. I was just like, bitch, like y'all set me up. Y'all set me up so bad. But I got to get some of these carrots out of here so that I can get down the road without getting in trouble. When you look at that story and you look at some of the other situations that you had in the trucking world, and I mentioned to you what you do on one level is what you're going to do on the next. Do you see that correlation where, wow, I'm delivering agriculture? I'm sure you delivered other things as well, but yeah, yeah. I'm delivering agriculture across the globe or across the United States. And here I am now, one of the leading voices in agriculture. No, that's not lost on me. I pride myself on making connections between as much as possible. So when I'm talking a lot of times on my show, I you can, it becomes apparent where I say lessons that I learned from plants. Like I did a whole episode where it was just me with no guests, where I was like, these are five lessons that I learned about survival mm. from just observing my house plants or even just plants in general. Because the thing about plants is that they're very resilient. And even if you don't know nothing about a plant or whatever, you have brought home an onion from the grocery store and you have maybe come back to that onion and noticed that little green thing sticking out. To me, that is that's a prime example. That onion is still alive and it very much wants to continue to live. And so if you like stick it in some water, it's going to do its thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that we can get from the grocery store where you can keep it going. You just got to kind of like chop it a certain way. Like I propagate pineapple tops. You can grow a whole new pineapple from that pineapple. Like don't throw the top away, girl. Interesting. If it's true that what you do on one level is what you do on the next, then me sitting there in these rooms watching $3 million loans be transferred over from a bank to a chicken farm. I spent my entire life eating chicken. And I never really asked. You just had some wings a few minutes ago. You got to do what you got to do. But that's agriculture. Even if you don't consider the actual chicken agriculture, when you're feeding the chicken, there's your That's it. One way or another, it all connects. And so as you're feeding the chicken, what they're saying is, well, I need a loan for these five to 15 different, I guess they call them like row houses or chicken farm houses Mm -hmm. to actually house these chickens in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm sitting there and I'm visiting these places and these locations, multi-million dollar loans, money is moving and shaking. And then you drive back down to Orangeburg and there's a homeless man on a corner and you're like, wow, he doesn't know the game that's being played out here in the agricultural space. But he's begging 
for a hamburger. He's begging. Aww. You see what I'm saying? He's begging for the agriculture in which I just watched multi-million dollars worth be exchanged within seconds. What that brings up for me is this concept that I'm really looking forward to bringing to life, which is a pantry garden. And I want to speak on that a little bit because there's a lot of things that we can really glean from that concept. For me, that was one of the first thoughts that I had when I started gardening, when I realized, oh, I can grow stuff. Oh, I can grow food. This doesn't really cost a lot of money. When I first started gardening, I didn't have a lot of money. I remember like legit pulling up on the side of a big box store and stealing bags of soil and putting them in the back of in the trunk, like, y'all ain't using this. Y'all ain't gonna notice. Whatever, whatever. I'm the reason why they put them fences around the outside. You know what I <laughs> that mean? That was you? That was you? <laughs> that was me. I'm sorry. I messed it up for everybody else. Free soil for everybody. We're gonna come back to that because I do have an initiative that's I'm starting to cook up uh, right now okay. to kind of address that. But it goes back to childhood for me. It goes back to being brought up in a household where sometimes... Uncle Al need to come through because he done got evicted or whatever and come stay with us for a few weeks. Being that household where it's like refuge, but also being that household where if you was ever hungry, there was always food. My mom don't know how to cook small meals to this day. It's her and my dad now at the house, still buffet style. Mm. <laughs> I say all that to say that I grew up in a household where abundance was not something that was like withheld. It was philanthropic, I guess. It was freely giving. Yeah. And so it wasn't that they said you should always share. It was just instilled in me because I saw that this was the culture of my family, my immediate family. When I become an adult, I've definitely taken some people in and I'm going to kick some people out because you got to act right in my house. That's okay. Right. <laughs> You but know, I've taken your, some people turn in. Turn your grandma right there. Listen, you can't <laughs> act right. You want to come in here and, and your kids wake up before you. And then I'm in here fixing them breakfast. Girl, get your priorities in check. Okay, but you. we're not talking about you. her right now because that's you. a real story. But taking people in, but also having a spirit of generosity where I'm like, you know what? I could lead the hood with this skill, with this ability it's the form of activism, as it turns out. That really got me turned because back when I first started using MySpace way long time ago, I remember my screen name was Uncommonly Rebellious. Mm. And so I just loved when I recognized this is another form. It's just like what you just said, like what you're doing on one level is on another level. So I just realized I can grow food and I had a community garden plot early in the game. I didn't really know what I was doing, so it didn't go so well. But recognizing, okay, just having access to land and having the ability to grow, whether that be authorized access or not, because I do definitely identify as what I like to call a gorilla gardener. I'm not coming in here asking for permission if I feel like if I got time and the ability and the opportunity to come and grow on some land that I don't have permission to grow on, I'm going to do that. Because the sense of urgency is there in that space where I would be doing something like that. Mm -hmm. In the hood, in particular, yes. where our people are hungry. I'm just still thinking about that beggar that you were talking about, that poor man. I'm like, yo, you go to the food bank. Because I've been to food banks. I've been, as an adult, especially with the marriage that I was in, and just things not being manners of finances, not being tended to appropriately, and 
dealing with poverty and scarcity as a result of that, I done been to some food pantries. I done spent plenty of snap dollars, okay? So knowing what that experience was like, particularly at the food bank and receiving those boxes or whatever and seeing what was in them and noticing that in many cases, there's just a lot of processed food. There's a lot of not fresh food. I wasn't even gardening when I was in those situations where I was going to the food bank, but that's not something that ever left me. I'm not the type that's going to get away from the situation or find myself doing better and then forgetting about what it was like before. I just know that my people are largely involved in poverty and scarcity and struggle. And so as soon as I recognize something that I'm able to do to reach back and to offer that support, I'm going to do that. So that's where the whole concept of growing a pantry garden came from. And to anybody who's listening who is already gardening or is thinking about gardening, I would encourage you to consider that. Consider that you can grow for good. You can really be out here helping people, especially children. Have you come across on your podcast or just in life in general, this idea of food deserts all across the country, right? Because on one level, I'm studying agriculture. Then on another level, when I'm looking at the economics of our culture, I'm looking mm-hmm. at these huge 10-mile radiuses in major cities, by the way. Yeah. This isn't just in the middle of nowhere. Major cities, Baltimore, Detroit, Houston, there are major cities that have six to 10-mile radiuses where people cannot get adequate access to food. And that burns closest, me up. <laughs> the closest thing to food for them is Dollar General and canned meats or canned foods, or like you said, processed foods. Has that situation come up at all through your conversations? And I know you were talking about your initiative and having this vision. What is your takeaway when you hear about these food deserts? I have not specifically discussed that on my show yet. It turns out that when you get into talking about gardening, agriculture, horticulture, planting, whatever, there's a lot of content. So that's the main reason why I haven't gotten to that yet. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I definitely would want to discuss with someone who can break it down in a very scholarly way. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually taking note that I need to put that back at the top of the list because, you know, I'm gearing up for season three right now. We still got space for some guests. So to answer that, I have not specifically addressed that on my show yet. I know I've mentioned it. I know that I definitely have said in a very specific way several times, kind of like a call to action, like, yo, hey, y'all listening, you're gardening, grow something for your people who don't have it. So that for sure. But that is a big concern of mine. And there's another connection right there with that concept of what happens with the corporations in many food deserts. Let's say it was not a food desert until that big ass grocery store got shut down. Right. For whatever reason, it don't even matter why. It doesn't matter if they feel like, oh, well, this isn't, it wasn't performing like we wanted it to perform financially, or there's too much risk here in this neighborhood. It don't matter why it shut down. I'm not the type to be getting all bogged down in like the what's and the why's when it comes to, once again, that sense of urgency that people feel when they're hungry. I've seen this kind of almost firsthand when I was involved in a city council committee 
where it was specifically developed in order to address things like that. And I remember either going to some of the meetings or even reading the emails and keeping up with the saga that was happening. This was specifically in Columbia, South Carolina, where there was a save a lot that closed down in a very vulnerable neighborhood. And there was all this damn red tape about, well, what are we going to do here? Or who going to bring this or whatever? And then The rent was like ridiculous and whoever wanted to come in couldn't really come in because they just jacked the prices up in such a weird way. But like I said, the sense of urgency is still there for those who are left without access to that store anymore, where they were otherwise able to get that fresh food before that store shut down. That's one example. I wonder, were we too reliant on grocery stores? Absolutely. Because even if you have five in the area, we're still relying so much on these corporations to feed us. And not (sighs) everything in those stores are even that good anyway. Yeah, because, you know, like you want organic. There's a tax on organic. If you grow on your own food, you grow your own organic. There's so many different types. I always love to bring this up to people who are curious about gardening, especially growing food. There's so many different types of every vegetable. Did you know there's pink celery? I did not know that. Who would have imagined? There's a literally a rainbow of tomatoes. There's purple tomatoes. There's like this hybrid, I think, this rainbow looking tomato. It looked like candy or something like that. It's just iridescent. There's yellow tomatoes, peach. You can conceptualize that when you think about apples. You know, we got green apples, red apples, some with spots of yellow and all that other stuff on there. There's a lot of different types. I'm just really getting on the organics of it all and and the diversity of the availability of produce that we generally don't see outside of like a Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. But once again, you go into Whole Foods, there's a whole tax (laughs) on all of that produce. But I'm just trying to bring it back to empowering people to know with the knowledge of I can grow all this air quotes, fancy stuff myself. And I want to shout out Seed Mail. That's my homegirl. She runs the seed company where if you go on her website right now, seedmailseed.co, you can see what I'm talking about. You can see this. She literally depicts that on her seed packaging, which is beautiful packaging, by the way. But you can go on there and you can order seeds. She sells her seeds intentionally for 99 cents a pack because access. Some of these seeds, like if you get a seed catalog or if you go down to whatever, wherever you find seeds at, they're not generally going to be 99 cents. They're going to be at least maybe like a dollar 50 upwards to, you know, two to to maybe even four dollars. But she is very intentional about making 95 percent of her stock available for 99 cents. And this is beautiful, like broccolini and all different kinds of things that you can grow. Now, I hate to admit this. I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'll just be honest. Oh, me too. I love conspiracies. I call it that just so that people understand where I'm coming from, but I just call it critical thinking, right? And so Mm -hmm. as a critical thinker, I would wonder if I'm the government, wouldn't I want everybody to know how to garden? (laughs) Wouldn't I want everybody- On some level. If I was a government that cared about my people, at least. Let me put that there. That's important. Important distinction to make. Yes. I would want the information to go out that everybody could have their own garden and grow their own food instead of having these huge backyards of nothingness, right? That's a pain point for me. (laughs) We have have huge backyards of beautiful grass, right? And it looks good. I mean, it looks good. DJ, 
Go ahead. Listen, that concept of that useless grass was something that really actually kind of inspired me towards plantrepreneurship is what I call it. I would legit get stressed out. I really had to adjust a lot in over time to not get stressed out to this day when I see a yard that is just, I mean, it could be beautiful. I don't really care, but it's like you could be using that space. And the reason why that was stressful for me in particular was just going back to me struggling when I first started gardening and me many times living in an apartment where I did not have access to space. I didn't care. I'd just be like, I just wanted to go knock on somebody's door and be like, can I grow some food in your yard? I don't got no yard. Stuff it's like just, that. But just sitting there. You'll pull into a neighborhood, especially middle class, upper class neighborhood. And there's yeah. these huge yards just sitting and sitting. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it on Instagram where imagine if we took those yards and we turned them all into their own personal gardens, it would literally shut down. This is where the conspiracy. Yeah, let's get into that. We almost got too sidetracked because I'll do that real quick. It would actually turn the tables. If everybody, especially us, it would turn the entire tables of the game and we really wouldn't have a need for anyone outside of ourselves. And majority of our expenses (laughs) outside of mortgages and rent are based off of our food. So we'll work hard. We'll make money and then we'll go out and we'll spend it on food. Yeah. But imagine if a huge chunk of our expenses were cut down because it was all right there at our foot. So you would know black people love some greens and we could just be growing them ourselves. Growing them ourselves. The only thing we would really need if we were meat eaters would be the meat and we can go to the butcher for that. Hey, listen, now you brought up the spirit of Fannie Lou Hamer. I know for sure when I was doing my research on her for the show that I did where I discussed her, she had pigs. She had like this pig bank. And her whole thing was as long as somebody got a pig in a garden, they good. What she did was she started with a few pigs and she got money through grants or however she got it. She was connected with a lot of stuff like she's she's worth looking into. But she started with these pigs and had a certain amount and every family would get two pigs and they were supposed to basically get the pigs to procreate and continue to add to the bank while they were also able to get meat from the pigs, right? but also have access to the produce from the gardens. Well, you mentioned earlier in this episode, the activism piece. If we really wanted a revolution, like a real revolution, everybody would stop shopping at grocery stores for the majority. I mean, there may be, maybe go get some paper towels, but we, you know, we can work around all that. But let's say we did 80% less at grocery stores, grew our own food and decided to take back the economy. To me, it would be a global revolution, especially if black, if just, if just black folk did it, it would change the entire game. I've been thinking about this for quite some time. Like if you really wanted to, you've been ready to have this conversation. I've been, I've been, you and I should have been talking about two years ago. If we all had our own, it's garden, all good. It would change the ecosystem of at least United States, if not more. And you mentioned paper towels, and I just want to say right quick on the sustainability tip that mm-hmm. we don't really need paper towels. Tell me you more. You cut up them old shirts. A lot of this paper that we are so obsessed with, we don't need all this paper. We don't even necessarily need. 
toilet paper. If you were really to get into the weeds of sustainability and decide that you wanted to replace as much of your paper products as possible with cloth that you could just easily throw into the washing machine. Just think about all this old clothes that you probably got piled up somewhere or that you might've just donated or whatever. Just the t-shirts alone. Even that Goodwill, the Goodwills that I would shop at, I haven't been in a while, so I don't know if they do it everywhere or what, but I know that there was a few Goodwill stores that I would go into. You know, they get access to so much of that donated, what is it, textiles? So what I noticed was you could get a pack of 20 cloths, but these cloths were cut into these cute little squares, but they all came from old t-shirts. Mm. And I had like a very sustainable childbirth experience with my second daughter who I had like a home birth and I everything was natural with her. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I would take those cloth scraps and the packs were like a dollar too. They were really inexpensive, but this is something that you could easily do yourself. But just to get into like the dependence on all the things, especially considering the pandemic of it all, we definitely have some workarounds, our dependence on paper. Even with your period, ladies, they don't call it on the rag for nothing. We literally used to put a rag down there. You know what I'm saying? I know that's not cute in 2020, but it's an option. You're right. You mentioned earlier about the free soil initiative that you wanted to mention. I wanted to make sure we give you the space to talk on that before I ask my million dollar question. Sustainability is very important to me. And I was concerned with it. I'm not going to say that I've been the best practitioner of sustainability in in all of my ways, because it truly is a way of life. It truly does require a lot of shifts for us to do something like not use any paper and and just use cloth instead and because it's reusable. So it's more sustainable and it does save money. So it simply came to me very recently, just one specific example of how this would all work is the concept of what happens with all the pumpkins between the day after Halloween and right after Thanksgiving. Mm. There's billions of pounds of pumpkins that are produced for mainly decorative purposes. You just set them outside or put it as part of your display in the house, jack-o'-lanterns, whatever. But I just recognize that, damn, that's a lot of pumpkins that end up going in the trash, in the trash. That is bad for the earth. Climate change is very real. And that's a whole other conversation. I'll give you a few references. I'm not the best one to speak on the particulars of that, but I just know that I care. And I know that food waste is a big contributor to climate change in the way that we don't want it to change. Okay. So I say all that to say that with these pumpkins, instead of throwing them away, we could collectively compost them. So Mm. my intention is to set up some kind of initiative. It's literally in like the embryo stage right now. Okay. But to set up some way where we're collectively getting all these pumpkins together, chopping them up, laying them out and burying them and doing all the steps that are associated with composting. Look, I got my composting book right here. I got to read up on it myself because, you know, it's simple, but it's also there's science involved. Compost generally can take at least three months to go from raw material to compost. You know, you don't just go bury a pumpkin and come back in two weeks and you got compost. No. Right. Let me also mention that compost is, when you're considering organic gardening and you also want to look into how 
George Washington Carver was very much one of the forerunners of the concept of like sustainable composting in general. He was very much like, let's just go into the woods and let's rake up all these dead leaves and let's get some pond muck. And like he was able to revolutionize the tobacco fields and the cotton fields where they kept growing the same crops over and over again, they were depleting the soil. He ended up coming in, part of what he did, he did so many things, but part of what he did to really save the economy of the South, because you know what the economy of the South was based on besides slavery, but the actual crops, the way that they were growing them, it was messing up the soil, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. the concept of composting, it also goes along with that. And so what George Washington Carver was doing was he had figured out how to mend that. And that was the reason why he's known as a peanut man is because he did grow a lot of peanuts because peanuts are legumes And legumes contribute, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it's either nitrogen or phosphorus. When you grow it, it naturally deposits that into the soil. So he grew a lot of those, but he was growing them in order to mainly achieve that. That's called green manure. Gotcha. And manure is associated with a compost or something that is used with gardeners. Like anybody who know about their grandma and them, who used to grow whatever, you know, they can make that connection. And even when you go to the store, you'll see this product called, I think it's called Black Cow or something like that, where it's mainly a, a manure-based product. But I say all that to say, you know, I have to shout out the the OG. I call him the goat on Black in the Garden. We did two-parter episode on him where we discussed those kind of things. Bringing it back to where we at now, pumpkins, right? Mm-hmm. Breaking them down, getting that compost because the compost is good for your soil. It's organic because you can use fertilizer. Sure, people use fertilizer and there's organic fertilizer, sure. But compost is the way to go. You add that to the soil and it's a very organic and natural amendment that just helps your plants to grow beautifully and wonderfully. So that's a simple way to put it. So it takes about three months for it to break down. Let's say We start composting between October and November. Three months later, we're about to bust into the spring and we got fresh compost for those people who want to grow gardens and don't have to go steal bags of soil or whatever like I used to do. If you need help with that initiative, please let me know how we can- I need help. Yeah, let me know how we can be a part of that. And then also the initiative of having true personal gardens and really, to me, starting a revolution. The revolution is not going to be televised. I don't think it's going to be something that we march about. No offense to anyone who's marching. I think the revolution is going to happen through agriculture. Yes. When I look back over my life and I listen closely to every sentence that has ever been said to me, Everybody keeps saying, especially our known enemy who happens to have white skin, is saying, I don't know why y'all are not dealing with agriculture. You taught us the game. They're telling us that that's the secret to this thing. And we keep running from it because we are associating it with a very dark time in our history. But if we own it, it's not slavery. But if we can get the acquisition of land and do something that is going to make it an asset instead of a liability by allowing that land to keep producing for itself over and over and over again, we create wealth within a year because we've created a land that is going to produce for the next unlimited. It's a source of generational wealth, if you will. 
we can still see the evidence of the generational wealth that had been acquired from our ancestors' labor in those fields, in the, those agricultural-ass fields. We've birthed the idea, and so now all we have to do is execute. The Agricultural Revolution mixtape. I love it. I want to jump on it, too. Let's do it. I just want to plant a little seed, just a little food for thought, if Go you will. Oh, plant a seed. Get it? Because I'm a gardener. You get plant it. You get seed. it. Boom. So one of those industries, I can't say this enough, is cotton, right? Okay. You start talking about Black people picking cotton, growing cotton, involved in the cotton industry, a little bit of emotion comes up or maybe a lot, right? But who buy the most clothes, really? Yeah. Who want to be the flyest one on the block? I'm going to pull you back just a little bit because here's the thing. If what? we control cotton, we control the world. Boom. I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to leave it right there. there. I ain't going no, go no further. Here's another one. If we control sugar, we control the world. What about tobacco, though? Because niggas and blunts. Yeah. Niggas and blunts. I, and well, no I don't know if we control the world with tobacco, but we definitely can control a piece of the world with tobacco. But with sugar and cotton, it's game over. Tobacco is like, yes, but the world's pushing it, maybe half the world. But sugar, cotton, if you can somehow have access to peppers, if you have access to like the seasonings, like we're talking global. As much as we like to season our food good, there's so many. I literally have at least six types of pepper seeds. Shout out to Seed Mail once again. And we could grow herbs. If people would stop just for a second and be like, yo, what the heck are we doing? Much as we love hot sauce, why we ain't growing peppers? Why don't we control the flow of agriculture in the world? Black people should own agriculture. We love hot sauce. I'm a little stuck on the hot sauce. Okay. So There's so many types of peppers. Grow up, you can grow a pepper in a, a soda can. We're going to get back on this. We are going to have part twos and part three. I think what we should do, I think we should have a master class in the future. We can collaborate, have the conversations. I know how to ask the right questions. You know how to find the right people. And so from there... I got a network. We Exactly. It's and deep. we do too. And so we bring yes. the investors in. You bring in the knowledge with all Yo. the different people. And all we got to do is find people who can catch the vision yes. and start building it one yard at a time. Okay. Yeah. The million dollar question. Million dollar question. This mixtape going to be fire, by the way. It, it really is. What's the furthest distance that you had to drive for a particular drop. I was listening to this guy the other day. He said he's been trucking for 20 years and I think he's from New York. And he said he had to go to Cali. To pick up a loan? Well, I don't know if he picked it up from New York and had to take it. And then he had to go to St. Louis. Yeah. Like he was just driving all over the dang country. And he said he ain't seen home in three months. And so I was wondering for you, what has been your experience as far as the furthest you've had to go and how long that's taken you away from your family? When I first started trucking, I didn't have a family. It was just me as a single gal just out here trucking and enjoying myself and making several bad decisions. So that was between like 2005 and 2009. And then I did end up having a whole family and going back to trucking in 2018. And when I went back, that was a whole different situation. But to answer the question, which was, what's the furthest I ever had to go? Or how? what's the longest I ever had to be away? Yeah, both. There's a lot of ways that I can kind of chop that up. Because the thing about me that I always prioritized was home time. And trucking, 
is modern day slavery. I'm just going to say it because they pay you pennies on the mile. They pay you pennies on the mile. That's slavery to me. So for me, I've always been of the mind frame of I'm going to save some me for me. So you're not going to have me out there for three months like like your boy. I don't know that life. I can't speak to that. I know that after about three months of me being living in this box, okay, because there's a bed in the truck, in the cab. I'm not about that life that much to where I want to live in that truck that much. I know people who, who do that and they think that it's cute or stack up your bread. Cool, fine. But also my mental health and also I don't want to be in this truck. I don't want to live in this truck like that. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But as far as how far I've had to go, I've had to go from sea to shining sea. Okay. Mm-hmm. Remember picking up a load, fresh flowers when I was driving refrigerated in Miami and delivering that right outside of LA. But how long does that keep you away from home? In that particular situation, I actually was in a team operation. So as myself and a Mm co-driver. And so that trip took maybe three days, four days tops. But you said, how long did that keep me away from home? Mm -hmm. Like I said, maybe I'm not the best example of being that long haul stuff. I get it. Long haul, sure. I drive long distances, but I would never let them keep me away from home for more than three weeks at a time. Okay. When this guy was talking about his experience in trucking, it just stood out to me because then you just said it's modern day slavery and pennies on the mile. He said something to me that just, it just rings in my ear. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I'm going to be in this truck for as long as they're paying me. Chabu. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, you know what was in my mind? Why not pay yourself? Like, you, if you were that dedicated, there are black trucking. owned trucking companies, and that's the thing. And independent operators and owner operators is a very real thing. And black people are definitely getting into the game for sure. So, to what you're saying, absolutely that, and that's the terminology around it. I want to put out this cry for help to the community here because Mm -hmm. what he was saying is actually what everybody's saying but they're just not in trucking they're just in their own different lanes he's Mm -hmm. saying i'm going to do this for as long as they they pay they is what gets me it's the they for me because the whole conversation has been about well i'm going to keep going to this grocery store as long as they paying me so then I can go get the groceries. And what I'm saying is, hey, everybody stop for just one second. There's been a pandemic. Everybody's had a time to reflect. We're about to possibly go back into a new reality, hopefully, right? Yeah. What if we do this thing when we pay ourselves and we dictate how we pay other people to do things for us? Why couldn't we yeah. grow our own, have our own trucking company, which many people are doing? So this isn't that much of a revolution of the trucking company part. But why couldn't you just have your own, own a piece of it, and don't even worry about ownership, control your time? That's part of liberation. We want liberation. We want oppression to be over. And and there's so many facets to what makes up liberation. But controlling your time is a big one. Being able to just take a nap whenever you feel like it. Being able to just stop in the middle of the day and go and kick the ball around with your kids You know what the Bible says, and I'm not trying to be religious, and I do believe this part of the Bible to be true is somewhere in Proverbs, and it says, Mm -hmm. if you take a nap in the middle of the day, it's going to bring you wisdom. But if you Y'all better get into the nap ministry, because y'all know, I'm sure you're familiar with the nap ministry. I'm not familiar with the nap ministry. Uh, Get your life. Go follow right now. The nap ministry, I'm just going to say this, because I ain't going to get too deep in the weeds with it. 
Rest is reparations. Mm, and that's not me, y'all. She calls herself the Nap Bishop. She has done doctorate level studies and dissertations oh, we might have to on talk. all of this. You need to get her on the show, though. Okay. I'll, I'm trying I'll, to get her on my show, too, if, I, okay, if well, I'm you honest. Get, you put it all together. But to me, I try to get a nap at least once a day. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of people ask me, well, how do I know about this? And how did I find out about this? I took a nap. And then when I woke up, things started flying at me. Before a lot of these podcast episodes, I get my nap in. And so magically, the universe is now ready because I've reset the universe. And now we're allowed to dive in. You and I just had a multi-billion dollar conversation about agriculture today. We had a multi-million dollar conversation about the trucking industry. Listen, you're downloading things when you're napping, when you're resting, right? But then also... It's coming through our mouths, and now we're creating a reality. So all the different things that we just said for the last hour, we just manifested them already. So the masterclass is going to happen. The mixtape. The mixtape. Everything that we just said, boom. Oh, okay. So I know I shit on trucking a lot, but one thing that I did actually love about trucking, especially the last time that I was at it, because I was a lot more developed personally, was having the space to daydream. Now you do need to pay attention when you truck and obviously because people could die. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> very much having the space to really be very in tune with and one with my thoughts and just be by myself. Didn't always love being by myself. Listen to a lot of podcasts or whatever, but daydreaming is essential. I read a quote the other day, and I'm still processing it. I think this quote happened right after a nap, okay? Mm -hmm. It's important important to notice. I think I I took a nap, I woke up, and a quote came to me through social media or something else. It said, imagination is God. Period. And I said, wait, hold up. Then I took that quote, and I said, well, let me look into this. And there's books about it, about how we call it imagination and daydreaming, and we're thinking, oh, that is real. And so You made me want to go hit the blunt right quick, talking like that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. That, <laughs> and we need to get a, our hands in that, too. That's agriculture, too. That's Hard. a billion dollar industry. And so when I say agriculture, anyway. That's why I was saying with tobacco. I'm like, we rolling that blunts in tobacco leaves that we need to grow. You write about tobacco leaves, but I'm really concerned about Mary J. It's You know that oh, that's where the money's at. The money's in Mary J. I mean, tobacco leaves, Whole yeah. show. I really don't want us to actually take in the tobacco leaf. I don't think that's healthy for us. But I do believe the... I actually don't believe in smoking Mary J. I actually believe that Mary J should be attracted into an oil. Ooh, and that gross. oil is... Act, well, people... <laughs> but actually, in the medical... In the medical marijuana industry, they just take a little bit of just a little bit of oil and they That's put it on their tongue. Yes, tincture. And you'll be quote unquote high for like five to six hours off of a drop because the we're THC, doing it wrong. Yeah, we're doing it wrong. And then we, yeah, we're, we're buying we're buying pounds and pounds and we're smoking it and smoking it, but we're only high for an hour. So if the goal was to be high, the scam of it all. The scam of it all. If the goal is to be high, you just take a little bit, put it on your, your lip or your uh, your tongue. You'll be high for six hours. Just a little. Now, of course, wow. if you have high tolerance, you might need a little bit more than a little. 
even that little bit more wouldn't even measure it's to the amount. It's still not a lot. You could have literally an ounce of the liquid that would last you so much longer than an ounce of the bud. Here's why we're messing up the agriculture game. We're messing up the agriculture game because we want to look cool because we've seen somebody else do it on TV or music videos. So because mm. we've seen somebody sit back with the blunt and the smoke comes out and they're blowing and it just looks cool, we're like, oh, I want to do that too. So they puff on Snoop. it. I blame exactly. Snoop. We got to, you know. <laughs> we're puffing on something and it looks cool and we are getting that highness from it. But if we yeah. really got into the science of it, smoking actually doesn't economically make sense. Or environmentally. Absolutely. So or many Swisher Sweet paper wraps plastic littering the hood as we speak when i say that they say you're trying to be a goody two-shoes you don't want me to have my mary j no 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 i want you to have mary i want you to have the mary j i just want you to do it the most economical way possible also i want you to tap into the pineal gland and you're going to do that through the oils more than you are the smoking okay because you're higher longer all right how can people collaborate with you how can they work with you how can they reach out to you? So you should email me at blackinthegarden at gmail.com if you just need to get at me directly like that, especially about collaborations. I'm always game for a good sponsor for my show. I've, I've gotten to that point where monetization is a must for me. I've been at this long enough and I need my podcast reparations, if you will. So there's okay. that. <laughs> I like that. Also... On Instagram, my primary source of social, which is at Black in the Garden, at Black in the Garden on Twitter. I do have a Facebook. That's Black in the Garden. It's universal across the board. Uh, If you felt blessed by what I said and you feel like you really want to just drop some coin my way, Black in the Garden is my cash tag. All right. You may deposit that as well and become a patron to get exclusive content, extended interviews from Black in the Garden. So that's patreon.com forward slash black in the garden. It's all black in the garden. And you can ask Auntie Google how to pull up my podcast or Alexa, if you fuck with her and she will pull up the show for you. Okay. But outside of that, Spotify, Apple podcasts, all the podcatchers really, but those are the main two. And iHeartRadio. I, I did get myself on there. I did. I'm a one woman operation at this very moment. I'm developing a team at this very moment as well. So That is why I'm like, yo, support your girl because this is a Black woman out here. This is a Black-owned business. And I just started another one. Speaking of business, you know, there's a a whole network that is formulating right now. Like I said, I'm going to do a trucking podcast. It's happening. All right. It's it's a matter of time. It's most likely going to be next year. But I just started the Plant Kiki podcast with my homies. It's four hosts. And we just have a good time talking shit about our plants and how they get on our nerves sometimes. And also how we love them and, you know, things like that. But it's mainly a houseplant oriented, kiki, good time, lighthearted, fun show. And I'm very proud to present that. Black in the Garden presents the plant kiki. Very excited. I'm glad we had the opportunity to speak here on Black Equity. Everybody go out and do everything that Cola just told you to do. I am going to ask this because usually I don't think we've ever had a podcaster come on the show and I did not ask this question. Usually I say before we head out, you get to at least ask me one question because I think it's out of respect for us both being podcasters. 
you should be able to ask me a question as well. And yes. so the floor is yours before we head out. Do you have any questions for myself, Black Equity, that I can somewhat try to answer for you? I would like to ask you, as far as the Black Equity Network podcast goes, mm-hmm. 2021, what's in store? Have you already started imagining that? Yes, I've been doing a lot of imagination lately. You've been napping. I've been doing a lot of napping, and I think people have thought that I've been pulling back. And maybe it's true. Maybe I have been pulling back. So for 2021, where I want to go, if permitted, I want to go behind the scenes. I went on a cruise one time, and it was my first cruise ever. And it was just this pamphlet came out, and they said, here are all the different excursions. And the first excursion that caught my eye was behind the scenes with the captain. And I said, oh, I got to do that. I don't care about jumping on dolphins, which is probably cool or whatever. I don't care about snorkeling and all these other excursions. I want to go behind the scenes because not only do you get to meet the captain, but you get to see how the food is made. Uh, You get to see the living quarters of the people who live in the the ship. And so I went behind the scenes. It was basically like a podcast episode because I was asking all these questions, but I never recorded it. I never got the chance to document it. And so what I see happening in 2021 and maybe even further than that is it's time for us to go a little bit behind the scenes to some Mm -hmm. So, yes, we're talking about agriculture. It's time for me to sit down with the agricultural bank and let's go through how this thing is actually operating Mm -hmm. and how this thing is actually moving. I want access, damn it. I want exclusive access to all the things that have been kept away from us. And I Mm -hmm. want to document it for our people. So for once and for all, we know what the game is. Once Mm -hmm. you win the game, you can change the rules of the game. And so that is where we're headed, is we're going behind the scenes of some of the, the topics and situations and industries that I've always wanted to display. Me personally, I've actually gone behind the scenes in a lot of these situations. I just didn't have a mic at the time. And so now I want to take yeah. a mic. I want to take a camera and be like, yo, let's talk. Let's really go behind the scenes and talk about this thing. Let's walk through it and figure oh, out man. how we can really educate our community. Great question. That's dope. I see similar for myself. COVID really put a wrench into those plans of going and being in people's faces like that. But I'm excited about those opportunities opening up for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Cola Be Talking, Black in the Garden podcast. This is an epic episode. This is part one of hopefully an unlimited part. We don't got to put a number on it. I appreciate you for having me. I appreciate you coming through and I'll be talking to you again soon. Love, light, and soil.